hey, welcome to Small Town Charm. My name is Daniel. We got Chris. We got Mike here. And we're going to keep talking about... What are we going to talk about? It was a... We're going to talk about the compromising and the back... Yeah, data. Data. (laughs) Ooh, data. Like our favorite character from Star Trek. Mm -hmm. Never watched an episode of Star Trek or a movie. Oh, I saw that new one with Chris Pine a few years ago. The J.J. Abrams one. All the wins first. I saw that one. Um... I can't keep hold. I can't keep having these tiny hands. They're, uh, <laughs> this jacket's not big enough to make the prank work. By the way, best three dollars I ever spent at uh, at five, at five below uh, was uh, was this. Uh, so, uh, data. I know a little thing about data because in my public comments at the at the public forum, I went for about thirteen minutes with a, a, a word vomit of data. Um, I've learned one thing. So good, by the way. That was really good. Still so good. <laughs> uh, I've learned one thing though, and I, I I should know better, but I my I think I kind of almost wanted to call attention to it because honestly, I thought I was fighting a losing battle uh, in my public comments at that moment, uh, which is I'm in the world of marketing and people make decisions based on emotion, and then they use data to back up what they've already decided with their emotions. Yeah. Right. Uh, and so in my mind. Didn't matter how much data I was going to provide, they weren't going. To, no one was going to change their mind. But I just wanted to show the great chasm between the data that those of us were who were pro uh, CD five or density or whatever you want to call it, the great chasm there was between the data we had and the complete desert of data that the other side had, um, and maybe I accomplished that, but. The same, this data argument came up again in the BOC meeting. Yep. You mentioned this in the, at the end of the last episode, which is why we wanted to talk about it this time. Uh, for audio listeners, I'm saying Chris brought this up. Uh, there was a couple of things. Number one, I remember uh, Haley mentioning that her husband found a study yeah. on a town right. that or towns that were in the Midwest that had been around for like 60 years and what they did. And it's like, that was, that was mind blowing in my own way. It's like, obviously I'm selfish. I'm like, I'm a self-centered person. Like we all are in in some way. I'm like, did you not hear my public comments where I cited like 17 studies? Mm -hmm. You found a study on towns that are 60 years old in the Midwest. It's like, there's such a divide there between those two things. Um, you mentioned uh, that uh, Jessica Salamita right. had data. Right. Tell me about that. So, <clears throat> I think just to like set the like set the the stage of kind of where this started, because people may not have heard everything in the last episode. So, uh, Commissioner Miller brought up the fact that. Um, while they were voting on the the village main street overlay CD five changes, um, he noticed one particular amendment was that they were going to set the density at fifteen. Yeah, and he specifically they got through all the amendments, and then he specifically brought up the fact that I suggested sixteen, and you guys are now saying that it needs to be fifteen. Why is that? And he made this whole case for why he suggested sixteen, and it was based on studies that he had brought from other cities around the country <clears throat> and what kind of density, you know, those kind of places required. Mm-hmm. 
he had real numbers. He had done like a whole presentation on this. And Haley uh, brought up the fact that, well, the reason it needs to be 15 is because I want to negotiate. So like that was her <laughs> rationale it. for it. It was like, you know, that that's, that's what it was. Jessica Salamita then inserted herself into the debate and uh, immediately went after Joel and picked apart the fact that like all of the data that he and commissioner Adams had brought to the table, uh, were all from like cities that had populations that were much, much larger right. than Nolansville. And so in her mind, it's fair. Yeah. In her mind, it was like, well, I don't think it's fair, but I'll tell you that about that in a minute. I want you to keep going. Yeah. In her mind, it was like, well, if this popular, if this city has a population of a hundred thousand people and they want, you know, 18 units per acre, then like re- really, if you like boil that down to Nolansville, we should have like seven. That was her rationale, and so she in her, was like saying, "I'm making a huge concession by going to 15." Joel then like countered by saying, "Look, like he didn't use these words, but I'm gonna like paraphrase and do we have to do we have to make the it Chris up? going filter the Chris, Chris version <laughs> like yeah. of what Joel said was basically like, "Look, like y'all are just being assholes," mm-hmm. and in reality. Like what, what this, what this really equates to on paper is like 60 units, like, which is, if you spread that out over the, if you spread like one, if we go to 16 versus 15, it's like 60 additional units on most of these parcels. That's a meaningful thing to a developer. And it's like meaningless to the town in terms of like us from Mm -hmm. like a population growth standpoint. So like, why are you really arguing over this? And then he made this, the statement what I'm concerned with is we've met with developers like Land Innovations, and they have specifically told us they can't do the development for less than a certain density. Like, they have to have a certain density to make this economically viable. And so I'm just concerned that if we go with 15, if we don't come up to 16, really, I think he would want it higher, but he was compromising. Yeah. But he's saying, like, let's give them as much as we possibly can because – that will allow a developer to actually get this done and yeah, get right. a, and get a development built. And, and like I said before, I'm okay with 15 uh, because if it's not viable, you get to adjust it, and because it's form based zoning. So the 15 can there's a variance there, right? So like you you can kind of design things around it to make you know to kind of make up for the, for the difference there. The one unit per acre is meaningless, right? In either direction. The one thing that I did want to point out is that. Uh, these studies, and I've seen this. I, I've seen these studies uh, over the years of in the Midwest towns that have six to twelve units an acre, and they're viable. There, there is a very, very important data point that's missing from from that conversation is that these towns were all created eighty years ago, yeah, and they were created in a, at a on a much slower pace. For, so, and for context. Because a lot of people probably don't know this. Mike is from Chicago, like the suburbs of you don't Chicago. Know people, grew, grew up in shocked. grew up in like <laughs> Chicago proper, right? But so, also like lived. So I mean, this in the this, this is this is kind of like, and it kind of goes hand in hand with the conversation that Haley had, be, like uh, 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 at a uh, or at the public hearing about the fifteen minute city. These things have become these uh, theories. They're 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 make believe examples of like how yeah. how how a utopia would work, and. When you use that, when you use a study that says that midwest, midwestern, midwestern downtown areas have six to twelve uh, 
units per acre and they're viable is you're not you're not uh you you're not taking into account that the fact that these things were sold off by parcel by parcel right. like for, like you can even go next door in franklin like that's all individual landowners they were they didn't come in all at once in a master plan they didn't have to buy the land at huge amounts of like huge parcels at huge inflated prices with today's uh interest rates they came in and they 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 were handed down through generations of land ownership right. like the, the the scale of development 60 or 80 years ago was so much smaller and was so much more manageable that yeah you can do uh you you can do a a, a mixed use building with a you know with a first story pharmacy that 80 years later becomes a hip hipster bar right with like a few units on top and that mm-hmm. makes it viable here like we, you fast forward to 2023 where you, you like now land acquisition is a hundred hundreds of acres at, at at yeah. a time, and you have investment groups. Sorry, you have investment groups, and you have uh, developers that are that are doing master plans. It doesn't become viable. So, like yeah. when you when you quote these studies that like were like that reference towns that were formed eighty years ago, and try to apply it to today, right. you're being intellectually dishonest right. to, to yeah. the people that you're trying to, you know. Yeah, like for instance, like the density in Franklin is not like what we're. I mean, it's similar it's, to what we're talking about, but it's less. It's lo- it's a lot less. It's a yeah. lot less. But, but again, to your point, it's like Franklin was like a, a city from like the 1800s. Yeah, and, like, then you, and then you drive down a little bit down the street and you look at Cool Springs right. and then you're like, why? Like, what's being built in Cool Springs right now? It's all density. Correct. It's, I mean, they have to infill people because they have to be able to provide the revenue. But in fact, what Haley was describing in some of these like Midwestern cities that have like, where she's pulling her density data is like, it's essentially like it's downtown Franklin, where it's like you have like a pharmacy that's now like Grays on Main. Right. Right. Where it's like it's now like a really hip bar and restaurant, you know, or you have like an old like uh like clothing shop that's now turned into like White's Mercantile, which that's, is like a right. hip, like right. cool, like, you know, like boutique. Even Puckett. Shop. Puckett's was like, I mean, Correct. Puckett, I mean, all those shops used yeah. to be something, but like now they are something more modern. But they were all developed individually, 80. 100 150 years ago and uh, like the small scale like that right. that would be my goal my goal would be like you you put in a road and chicago did that after a fire i don't know if you guys noticed i'm like, new i'm from chicago after the fire <laughs> the city came in and gridded out the entire city mm-hmm. and they sold like they basically plowed everything over and they put in roads and put in alleys and then they 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 lighted out the city which traditionally a chicago lot it's like 25 feet by 125 yeah. Right. And then they sold all these off individually and people were able to go in and build whatever they could afford at the time. That's why it looks so different than a master plan community now. Yeah. Like, I wish we can go back to that time where, where like, we still had the ability to uh, for small scale downtown development we don't it just it's, it's just not where our economy is at it's not it's it's not the part of the country where that's viable we have to be realistic in terms of how we're going to get development and majority of them if not all of them are going to come in master plan I communities wish, i wish we could do that in nolensville too because then we could have like our own version of al capone opening speakeasies right like and tunneling, the, tunneling all, underneath the road. Yeah, to like, just yeah. like we would have a speakeasy in like the back room of like the library in Nolan's or right. something. So, one thing that I that I would have loved, I actually said this out loud in the meeting. I broke some rules, but uh, I broke some rules. Yeah, I believe it was Haley that the mayor that mentioned how she didn't want to consider towns 
like that were like on the uh, on the outskirts of Atlanta or this or that because a lot of these towns were uh, were near tourist spots and that wouldn't work that that doesn't apply. I'm like I said something like oh you mean like Nashville, <laughs> like the third most popular tourist destination in the country right now. Yeah. Like right. <laughs> why wouldn't that example be a perfect example for yeah. us? The second yeah. the second fastest growing uh, metro area in the United States right. outside of Austin. So like, that's I mean it's yeah. it's pretty it's pretty uh, significant. Yeah. The, the other thing that I that I thought about was when you you know all these Midwest towns that, that they cited was I'd love to see some kind of line graph over time or something of like the financial stability of those towns. How many of those towns went through several periods in their lifetimes where they were hanging on by a thread right. and through some kind of sheer stroke of luck managed to survive right. through whatever they had. So and so and so in Chicago specifically, all the towns that are thriving now are towns that had a rail line running through them. So right. you, so you like you didn't need the density per se, but you had you had people from the city like Coming taking there. the train yeah. and buying up property for the vacation homes and buying up property to get away from the city. So like like if you look at all the Chicago suburbs and the ones that are around now and thriving uh, all have a like the train tracks and the train station to this day is a very prominent right. part of their town where they have parking mm-hmm. and you like yeah. people will, will live there and con- to this day will continue taking the train into the city to work. Yep. Like that's a very big aspect of that. Yep. One of the uh the the things that that kind of uh, struck a nerve with me um, was I believe it was I don't I don't think I heard this in the BOC meeting but in the public forum uh, I heard this a couple of times and it's the same sentiment that you guys are describing that was coming through this which is oh you guys are using these large larger population towns as an example Nolansville is different and special. And we, those things don't apply to us. So I work for a company that that uh, is, it has franchises all over the country. Uh, we have over a hundred locations now, all over the country. I have never met a franchisee of our company. I run the marketing for the company who doesn't say I'm special and different than <laughs> everybody else. Yeah. yeah. The whole purpose of a franchise is. We have a business model. We have best practices. We have an operations manual for your business. We have a way to run your business, start to finish. That if you just follow the instructions, you'll, you'll you will be, be successful. Right. I have never met a franchisee <laughs> who was str- who was struggling though, who was following that that mm-hmm. instruction manual. Yeah. So, one hundred percent of the people who follow our process that they paid for succeed yep. 100% of the time. So something being, being quote-unquote boilerplate doesn't mean that it doesn't work. It's right. actually better it's that you... It's proven. It's yeah. proven. It's In the same way, I used to run a side business where I taught drummers how to become professional drummers. And the biggest talking point I had for them was, look, in my own life, I actually went from knowing nobody and becoming a professional drummer, I actually did it twice in my life. Yeah. I, I, I did the whole process twice. I decided to start it again one time after you know many years of not doing it. Both times, I 
modeled what I chose to do after somebody else or several people who were successful at doing the was thing it, I wanted it, to do. Was it David Grohl? No, I wish I could oh. be like him. That'd be amazing. <laughs> um, uh, but again, it's like the idea that something being unique is the indicator of it being good doesn't work, especially in some kind of business focused thing. And I right. think a town at the end of the day is a business. It needs to make enough money to support yeah. all of its expenses. I So I mentioned David Grohl because I just very recently watched an interview with him. And this isn't a recent interview. I It was recent to me. And he was like, I mean, David Grohl, I'm 36. He's like the pinnacle of, of you know, alternative music. Yeah. Uh, so like, and the the thing that he was saying is like, I didn't reinvent the wheel. Right. All I did is I, I listened to bands from the 60s and 70s and I just did what they did. Yeah. Like I just, you know, I kind of, you know, combined some styles, but I didn't like make a new genre of, of, of drumming. I just did the stuff that sounded really cool and I just did it. He's and he, like in this interview, he actually like went on to say, he's like, I'm not that good of a drummer. I just, I can hold a beat. Right. Actually, most of the drum beats on that he's known for, unlike Nevermind by Nirvana. Yeah. He didn't even record. It was a different drum. Was a, there was a different drummer in Nirvana that he had a, he had a double. Wrote, he had a, like <laughs> most of the hits, like "Smells Like Teen yeah. Spirit" and stuff like that, weren't Dave Grohl. Oh, you just you just ruined like, my recording. entire childhood. Like he he learned those beats and then became but, the drummer and played them. But the but 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 the sentiment that you're you're expressing yeah. is correct, which is is you don't need something to be so special. I hate to tell people this. Nolansville is not special. Right. It's going to be real special. Thankfully, it's not going to be because we get past some stuff, the zoning stuff. It was going to be real special that it's a town that just was going to get absorbed by Brentwood or something anyway, even though that's why the town was formed all those years ago. Right. If we didn't do something yeah. better soon, thankfully, we, we dodged that bullet. But the idea of of negotiating for the sake of negotiating right, or – Stretching to find a piece of data—it's—it's it's scorekeeping. You're trying—you're trying to like be okay. At, yeah. Like I got enough points in to where I'm okay I, with this. I think th- I think the thing that like a lot of people don't understand, or maybe they—and un- I'll, I'll say maybe like we could stretch that and say they do understand it. They just don't think about it that often, which is like this kind of like meta, uh, like philosophy of the fact that like okay, you live in Nolansville. So, like, everything around you is your life, right? And we all just, like, think about, like, Nolensville is a small town and it's your surroundings. And, like, maybe you work in Nashville, but, like, you live here. Your kids play sports here. You see your neighbors at everything you do. You eat at the local restaurants. People get, like, sucked into that. That's what drives this, like, thought process of, like, we're unique. Mm-hmm. Because it's like, well, that doesn't exist most places. Mm-hmm. Kind of true. Yeah. That doesn't exist in a lot of places today. But... What people like, it makes people lose sight of the fact that like we also live in like the zeitgeist, which is like America. Yeah. And if you look at who are building houses here, most of the home builders here are national builders, right? Like Drees, Jones Brothers. Yeah, yeah that's true. Like uh, Fox Ridge Ryan, yeah. slash Ryan. Like most of these builders. Beezer. Yeah, like most Ugh. of these builders are building homes <laughs> all across America. Like, I guarantee you, you could just transplant, like, whatever model home you live in, in Burberry Glen, 
you could probably go find that same model home. Oh hell like, yeah! In like yeah. The middle of Nebraska, or in like you know, like some farm town like outside like there's a house Wich- there's, Wichita, Kansas. There's a house like, being built on uh, on uh, uh, Burke Hollow right now, right at the corner of Burke Hollow and Clovercroft. Yeah, it's this house. Yeah, it's, exactly. It's, it's, it's <laughs> this house. So like, I just I think people like fail to recognize that like yes, what makes Nolansville unique is the fact that like we all move all these people moved here and they want it to remain somewhat like quaint and small and everybody wants to be invested in the community what doesn't make you Nolansville unique is the fact that like everyone lives in a like cookie cutter mm-hmm. home to some extent that's built by a national builder and like if you we- got a ship like wall in your house yeah. you're not unique <laughs> dang it dang it mike but but i think to that point it's like what that what that drives in the whole like zoning conversation is like people don't recognize that like okay like because you have those kind of home building things going on in your community that also drives like commercial development yeah that type of commercial development though could go like one of two ways so it's like either commercial developers are going to come in and be like hey you know what like there's a bunch of soccer moms here that like all love Joanna Gaines and there's enough of them that they we should build a target because they will buy hearth and hand products in the droves and target will be interested in that. That's it's kind of through like your point when you mentioned in the earlier episodes of like we're we're still able to kind of produce the support that we need if we care deeply around an issue. It's like if you look at like BOC meetings or the PC meetings, the audience and the, like this is not derogatory, it's just facts. The audience is like 60 plus. Mm-hmm. Right? So like but, like, if you look at data, Nolensville's median age is, like, 35, 36 years old. Correct. So, the representation that goes and is vocal on the mundane things or the things that, you know, a lot of people don't care about, like, that's that's a skewed data point. And when, a, when an issue comes up in terms of, like, long-term projections, oh. it's very easy to drum up support of, like, hey, like, you're 35, you're 36, you have kids, you live in a subdivision, you're basically 95% of Nolensville, like, would you mind showing some support? And that's how the BOC gets swamped with 100 emails saying, right. like, I want the village. Because, like, that's, that's, we're not unique in terms of, like, what type of town we are. Because there's a lot of towns like Nolensville. We're not unique in types of, in, in terms of, like, the town uh, demographics or, or uh, just over, like, overall, we're not unique. There's a lot of little Nolensvilles out there especially next to big metro areas like what make what what people refer to when they say we're unique is like the people right so it's like i'm able to go into me and loretta's and know the owner and like that feels good that feels like a small town but when i moved here me and loretta's birdies was not around like i'm like i'm kind of crowning on that on that idea of like i've been here long enough to where i'm almost old school because i'm coming up on five years and like when i moved here like a lot of the stuff wasn't here. Right. And all the stuff that came after I moved here made Nolensville so much better. Right. And it, that's the stuff that I think about of, like, how how are we unique? Like, we're very unique in terms of, like, an owner of a restaurant is a very funny, very well-known, like, figurehead on a on, on a Facebook page where, like, he drums up support for his business. And there's a, there's a food truck that, like, has been parked all throughout town. And, like, we kind of all embrace that as as a community that's what that's what makes us unique in terms of like 
having our own uniqueness because yep. everybody does that but our own uniqueness doesn't come from us being a small town on the south of nashville our uniqueness comes from like just being able to live here and developing the this community that that, that just makes it of a, a unique community and, and in here, itself. here's a point that i think some people picked up on but a lot of people missed like that i i really want to give props to, to derek commissioner adams for like never wavering on um so he's like touted cd5 and a village and all this kind of stuff from the beginning he's always spoke as it uh, spoke about it as we want to have a regionally attractive right. town center and i think maybe the messaging could have been worked on because it was probably lost on some people what that meant mm -hmm. but like like we had we were at this crossroads of like we could go one direction with growth and not be unique like we could just be like every other town that develops as a suburb right. where we have like really nice houses, people with lots of money, and all we build is strip malls with like huge retailers. Best buy. Or like Spring yeah. Hill. Or like we, Spring we, Hill. Like, or we could be fair. like a different version where we don't zone in such a way that allows that, but really we zone in a way that like builds a a development that is what Franklin was 150 years ago right so it's like nobody's thinking about that these days though like that does make us unique what we just got in this vote is unique so like we have all of the suburbia that like you could possibly want right what we just got approved though was like anti-suburbia it was like we're gonna take suburbia and make it like the like the quintessential version of of what you want suburbia to turn into which is like a small town within suburbia surrounding it. I, I I said this to some people the other day. We we all hung out. I am so excited because Williamson County has nothing like this. Correct. We we knocked it out of the park. It doesn't exist. That. Yeah. This will be the template for choosing your own destiny as a town. That I think again. If if and I, I it just so happens that we were all involved in Better Nolensville. If if Better Nolensville was the template that towns are using to change their charter or change their government, this decision, which I, we cannot take near as an, uh, as much credit for this as, as we could for maybe Better Nolensville, which again it was up to people voting. But this this zoning thing, the way it worked out, I think couldn't be better for the future. And I know we spent a lot of time kind of arguing a argument that we already won. Uh, on these episodes, but I do think it's important that people understand, again, like I mentioned at the beginning, how our government functions. And for the next two years, if there's anything else that comes up like this, the way that, that some of our representatives might approach things and how we can work with them, because I think that worked out in our favor to work with them at the end of the day, um, and how there are always going to be voices who might be irrational or unwilling to look at data because they feel a certain way about a topic, how we can either bring them along with us or at least win when we know there's data to, to, to beat that. So I think it's important that we had these conversations. Um, and, and I'm excited about, you know, the next five or 10 years now in town, honestly, probably wouldn't have felt that way if things had gone a little differently. Yeah. Uh, would have uh, felt excluded and not represented. Yeah, yeah. So I'm very encouraged by all that's happened. 
Um, we're out of time for this episode. Um, so thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. This is Small Town Charm. We'll see you again real soon. Bye for now.